Blog Talk Radio. Sometimes they're not so tough, but they're pretty interesting, and I think that's today's category. We are talking with Dr. Andrea Piat. Am I saying that correctly, Andrea? Andrea, are you there? Uh Uh-oh, I lost Andrea. Andrea, um, I have lost your audio. Um, Well, that's interesting. She was right there. There we We go. There we go. What happened? Hi. (laughs) I hit the mute button. (laughs) Hi. Sorry. What happened? Yeah, it's Pyatt, actually. Pyatt. Okay. Thank you for correcting me. Um, Sure. Yeah, and uh, uh, I kind of got interested in Andrea earlier this week, actually, because I'm a member of the State Psychological Association, and I saw an email from uh, the association saying that this woman in the Boston area was compiling a list of women-owned behavioral sciences businesses. Now, behavioral science is what we kind of clump the psychology, psychiatry, uh, neurology in, uh, in certain areas. What other specialties do we clump together under the behavioral sciences? Um, I think uh, the ones you said, I was actually more interested in just behavioral health practices um, uh-huh. uh, when, when the email went out. So it was um, yeah. more psychologists, social workers, psychiatry, really people doing direct service uh, in the behavioral health. Okay. And the email that I got said that this woman was uh, interested in in, uh, looking at or compiling a list of women-owned practices. Now, when she and I chatted, and I don't have any um, uh, quotes in front of me, but I get the sense, Andrea, that a lot of these practices are women working directly with patients or clients, and that as healthcare changes and becomes more corporate than it has been, I think we've all seen that in the last year or so, um, and, and practices are consolidating, who owns these practices? Well, a lot of them, I think, are owned by insurance companies, um, but the privately owned ones, who owns them? And so she was looking to see how many were owned by women. So, Andrea, what's your background? What brought you to an interest in in this particular field? Well, I'm a neuropsychologist by training, um, and I had been practicing uh, solo, alone in my own practice for a number of years, um, and that had a lot of um, drawbacks uh, for me as a professional, but also for clients. It made it hard to find services um, that clients needed, such as medications or counseling, After they would see me, they would have to go back out into the community and start over trying to access care. So um, at some point, I thought that um, it might be a better model uh, for me as a professional and for clients to get better care, to form a group with some other professionals where uh, clients could continue to get treatment in-house instead of having to go back out into the community. So that uh, is what I set out to do back in 2004. Um, and all of, let's see, uh, you know, a little over 10 or 11 years later, um, I own a, a practice called Commonwealth Psychology Associates in Boston, and um, we have about 60 employees, including 35 uh, full-time psychologists, uh, psychiatrists, and neuropsychologists um, uh, with uh, three locations. So it's gotten, it's gotten quite large, and we serve about 2,500 clients a year. Um, and 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 so that's uh, that's how I came to be here today. Was really just seeing a need for for myself as a professional and also for clients. Uh, and I think it's worked out very well. Well, I think let's lay a little groundwork um, by saying what. Is there a difference between, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of friends who say, well, you know, I have a counselor, I'm going to a, um, a therapist, and, and they'll say, I, I, I want a woman or I want a man. Uh, some people don't care. Is there any difference that you're aware of between the way men and women practice their behavioral health sciences field? Um, 
I don't think so in terms of um, direct care working with the clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everybody has their own unique uh, you know, strengths or weaknesses, and I think clients have their own unique needs, and they, um, for the most part, seek out, I think, what they feel most comfortable with. And we, you know, we get a lot of calls, obviously, and people do ask that you know if they want to work with a woman or some want to work with a man, and they uh, they'll ask for that specifically. There are a lot of people who do say it doesn't matter to them; they'll work with a man or a woman, just kind of whoever is available. But okay. I don't think um, I don't think beyond that. Uh, but there are big differences in the way um, uh, you know men and women actually interact with the client or the type of treatment they choose, or um, at that kind of one-to-one level. I think that there are okay. some subtle differences. Go ahead. Well, so, so yeah, there are subtle differences, I think, just because there are differences between men and women um, in, in general, not necessarily between each individual man and each individual woman, but in general. Right. Um, but when we're looking at the business of providing mental health services or behavioral health services, is it different there between men and women? I think it's different um, uh, on a number of levels. At the at the more you know, directly working with consumer level, uh, one of the things that I've seen is that, um, you know, generally speaking, it's not true for everyone, but in general, the women um, in our practice, at least, and I think it's it's true across most uh, behavioral health providers, have a little more trouble um, dealing directly with the finances um, of therapy or treatment. Um, they're a little bit more uncomfortable asking for co-pays or um, expecting to be paid for late cancellations, for example. I think men are a little bit more comfortable with that, and I think that's just a, a societal well, you know, kind of thing. That, that, yeah, that, that's, uh, that surprises me in this day and age. Cause, uh, 150 years ago, I worked for the Girl Scouts of America <laughs> and uh, a local council. And I have to tell you that you know, you'd have a meeting of the the women. Now, goodness, this is a long time ago, but the Girl Scout professionals would meet, and or you'd you'd have volunteers or whatever, and you'd say, okay, for example, the roof on Camp Building X Y Z needs a new roof, needs repair. How are we going to do this? And you'd have the women brainstorming about, well, we could have this fundraiser, or we could do that, or we could. When I'd meet with the Boy Scouts. Honest to goodness, it was, oh, the roof on Camp Building XYZ needs to be replaced. And they'd all say, well, George could do some. My business could put some in, and by the and, and ten minutes later they had the money raised. There was right. more of an assumption that there was nothing wrong with getting the money you needed. Now, I hope right. that that has changed over the years, but I suspect that we still, as as women, tend to be a little less upfront and matter-of-fact when it comes to the dollars. And is that what you're saying about businesses owned, the differences in the business ownership? Well, not just ownership, but I think even just the women practicing. Um, and, it, and that may be a little bit of an, an artifact of being in a social service kind of field. Um, I think there is some... Um, either a societal or personal expectation um, to have a little more social welfare orientation. And I think that money in general gets a little more complicated uh, in this kind of treatment, maybe more so than others. But I think, um, you know, and a lot of women are just not um, starting practices. I And a little bit of uh, data that I've gotten back um, from my request, we're seeing pretty much what you see in women-owned businesses uh, more generally, even outside of behavioral health, which is um, women are starting them, but they're not getting um, especially large. In in general, uh, outside in the general world, outside of behavioral health, women own about 30% of the private businesses in the United States, but only about 2% of those ever reach a million dollars in revenue, which sounds like a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money for a small business. Um, no, so no, it's not. we're seeing that. We're, we're seeing that mirrored even in behavioral health. So, um, now, <clears throat> excuse me, most of the is go there, ahead. Is there something you suspect about uh, women and our comfort levels with large uh, organizations that might have something to do with that, or do you see it as a business um, skill or interest issue? Uh, what, how, how do you explain that? I think uh, you know what we see in 
some of the organizations out there uh, that are designed to help women grow businesses and try to do better um, is that women don't necessarily have the know-how. Um, they don't have the same access to capital that men do. Um, and I think uh, that some of Cheryl Sandberg's work shows that um, unless women feel 100% qualified to do something, they're less likely to take a chance and try to do it than men. So do women men ever feel 100% feel... qualified to do anything? <laughs> well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know about that, but um, they, uh, you know, relative to men, need to feel more confident to take a, to take a risk or to try something out. And I think um, when they have a little uncertainty that they're, they're more likely to, to sit back and to not lead in um and and therefore not move ahead and they also just don't have enough role models um out in the world or mm-hmm. or access to them and and actually that was part of what uh prompted me to try to start collecting some data about um who the women are out there that own practices in general and specifically to try to identify some of the women owners of larger practices um the uh, and a lot of the emails that I got from this particular request, um, and um, for many years I, I frequently receive um, email requests and phone calls um, from other women practice owners and men wanting um, consulting or some help or direction in what to do with their, their practice. And I think um, it's not obvious where to go to get that kind of help because, uh, to my knowledge, there is not a directory um, anywhere of group owners, um, and certainly not broken down by women owners or the size of businesses. Um, and so uh, that's really what prompted me to do this, was to try to get a collection of these people where um, maybe they could form some sort of community on a on a Google Groups or a, a Facebook page or something where we could start to get all of these women together and connected to start um, – having access to more resources. Because I think what happens is uh, there are a lot of talented entrepreneurial women out there starting businesses, and they have two and three and four employees, maybe some have ten. But, you know, they didn't go to school to run a business necessarily, and they're kind of learning as they're going. But I think they're recreating the wheel and they're making mistakes that they might be able to avoid if they had uh, access to someone to help them who's sort of already already been there and done that and made those mistakes. Um, and that yeah. that was a big part of why I was trying to, why I am still trying to get this uh, list of all of these practice owners together. Mm-hmm. Do you think that women, and I hate making big generalizations, but I think that sometimes we can, do you think women juggle so many balls that, that having a, a, a huge corporation under there uh, that, to develop might Maybe I guess what I'm saying is maybe some women purposely don't make the huge leap uh, to you know a, a large business because they have so many things to do and they want to keep it small and manageable. I think that's true for some women. Um, I don't think that that uh, is true for all women or explains um, the things that we see outside of behavioral health in the larger world about you know why there are so few women on corporate boards and. Um, things like that. So I think it's true for some women, but I get um, so many emails uh, and contacts from women um, and even the, uh, you know, 50 or so people that have contacted me already just from earlier this week have been saying, I'd love to, you know, be on some list or please tell me what you find out. I would love some more help. And so in my experience, um, at least the ones who contact me or have responded to me, people really are looking for um, help running their businesses better, making them bigger, um, and they just don't know where to turn. And I think they're spending um, a lot of energy and kind of recreating the wheel and um, maybe aren't able to just sort of fast forward uh, as well as they might be able to if they had access to more uh, mentorship, more just plain old uh, paid consulting from other people in behavioral health. Uh, to figure out how to do this better and how to access capital, how to go to the bank and how to get an SBA loan and um, things that would help them uh, grow more quickly. Um, I think they just don't know what's out there, and it's not easy to find. Yeah. Two two questions are coming to mind for me. One is, this is the age of huge 
healthcare corporations. And the other question I have is I want to know personally how you have managed to, without this kind of support, uh, grow your uh, corporation into such a large one. But first, I want to give out our call-in number. Uh, We do have a couple of people in the chat room already. You can go to our chat room if you don't want to talk on the phone. If you'd like to give us a phone call and ask our guest a question or make a comment, that call-in number is 646 378 0430. That's 646-378-0430. So now, why don't we talk about the, the whole climate of health care now? Um, we're mm-hmm. in a strange climate for health care right now. I think that everything is, is consolidating, everything is becoming big and corporate, um, and is a small practitioner able to compete with that? Um, the other thing that I have that I wanted to, to mention is that you talk about you don't uh, get much uh, from uh, individuals going out and starting their own businesses. I see that in almost every field. Um, mm-hmm. People seem to assume that they have to be someone's employee, whether it's doctor, right. lawyer, candlestick maker. Um, so how does that trend fit in with what you're saying um, and you know, wh- how does the trend for huge corporate health care apply to women-owned corporations? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that for um, behavioral health in particular, um, one of the things that has concerned me um, is that the workforce for the industries of education and health care, the workforce for those industries is made up, uh, 75% of that workforce is women. Um, to my knowledge, those two sectors have more women uh, in the workforce than any other sector out there. So if you have a health care services uh, firm, you're in an industry that is uh, dominated by women in the workforce. And we're seeing this in um, doctoral degrees, too, women coming out with uh, PhDs and PsyDs out of programs. Uh, it's a little more now, I think, than um, two to one women to men. So and that's true across a lot of uh, graduate programs. Medicine, law, we're seeing uh, more and more women getting uh, those advanced degrees. And so in the healthcare world, though, what, what you're seeing is these um, larger and larger organizations and um, healthcare groups buying up other ones and merging. Um, and most of those are being led by men. Um, and I think... What what it, and that does not represent um, the gender makeup uh, of our industry, or our sector, or profession. And so, couldn't you say I'm hopeful. That, uh, Go ahead. If I could interrupt just a moment, couldn't you say <laughs> that most of these huge corporate entities that are buying up other corporate entities, whether it's electronics or healthcare, um, are run by men? So, mm-hmm. uh, does that? Is that really anything to be cons- – well, that's not my question. Uh, it, it, <laughs> why should health care be any different, I guess? Well, I think, you know, I think that health care should be different because uh, it needs to uh, reflect and represent, I think, a little bit better what is really happening in the industry, which is that, you know, women are providing the uh, large proportion of direct care services, and I think that something is lost in translation when you have, um, let's say, an MBA running running your hospital or your organization, or even an MD. And certainly the MBAs, uh, MDs bring very important uh, skills and information to the table, but they don't bring all of it. And I think that uh, in the absence of having people who are providing the direct care um, for the larger industry, having those people sitting at the table helping make decisions about where healthcare is going, about what's working and what isn't. I think that something is, is lost there. Um, and women just are not um, typically stepping up into leadership roles in general uh, and not, uh, you know, not pursuing ownership of groups, or if they are, their groups are staying small. And I guess what I'm hoping to see is that rather than have these um, large organizations keep uh, gobbling up practices, which is one of the things that's happening out there. I get calls um, with some regularity from private equity firms um, that are calling, and they're calling a lot of other practices trying to 
buy them up and uh, make bigger and bigger groups. Now, we're not for sale, and I hope a lot of other women practices are not for sale. Um, well, but just my I, I just own see personal, a couple of choices. Yeah. My own personal philosophy is I think big isn't better, especially when it comes to things like health care. Um, is, is, you know, I, I want someone who knows my name. I want someone that mm-hmm. I can have a relationship with. And what I've seen in the last couple of years with healthcare in general is that that's non-existent anymore. Um, you don't really know who's coming in to see you in the room. They come in the room and the first thing they do is stare at a computer and don't even notice that you're there. You know, they might ask some questions, but they're typing on their computer. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I feel that impersonality, if that's a word, um, mm-hmm. and, and, I don't like it. I cannot mm-hmm. imagine having that level of care provided uh, in a in a behavioral science format where I need to have a connection with a therapist to help me figure out problems. Exactly, and I think that um especially with behavioral health, getting larger and larger is uh not always a good thing. I do think we can be too small though, and too small to have the kind of influence that I think we need to have. Um, in particular, you know, psychologists and people providing direct service that we need to be large enough to have a voice. And I think what is happening is we have a lot of very small people out there not connected in any kind of business way, not connected in any kind of social way, and that, you know, everyone is marching to their own little quiet drum. And I would like to see um, much better connection across all of the um, women out there running groups and Just statistically, um, it would seem like this was true, although we do have our societal biases and men tend to run more businesses. Given how many women work in healthcare, it does seem likely that we're going to have more and more women owners um, just by the sheer fact that it's mostly women providing these um, services and coming up through our graduate programs. So I would like to see our women groups get larger, maybe not massive because I do think a lot you know, is lost in the in the personal connection and the personal touch that you're talking about if you get too large. But I think that too many businesses that are women-run behavioral health care businesses are too small to register um, on the meter and to have an impact in the direction uh, of health care. So I'm, I'm hoping that more women will start businesses and make them bigger and connect so that we all have a, um, a voice that's, uh, you know, ringing out in the same direction and uh, having an impact on the way that our clients receive care. When I was, uh, and again, this was 100 years ago, but when I was even in high school, I I grew up in a very small farm town, you know, 50 kids in my class. It was very small, but no no Uh, huge expectations. Pardon? (laughs) I said me too. How funny. Go ahead. Oh yeah, um, um, my uh, the, the, you know I mean there were no huge expectations for higher education you know but even if you were the guy in shop class uh, who was getting C's, your expectation was that okay maybe I'll work in a gas station for the rest of my life, but I want to be the owner of that gas station. I don't see that anymore. I don't see that philosophy anymore. Is Maybe um, is 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 there something, and I'm trying to fit that in with the the whole health care issues. Um, do we lose something with that? Are are we losing something by not by by making everything so huge and so corporate? Um, and where you said, well, we need to be big enough to have an impact, but where is that line? At what point can you still have the impact but still keep the the personal stuff and could that be the thinking that's keeping women from expanding so much, or part of it anyway? Um, I don't. I don't know that we know where the line is, um, but I'd like to find out. And I think to find out, we have to keep uh, growing and getting to that point. Um, and, and I think there's a couple distinctions here. And one is that you have behavioral health care departments in some large hospitals um, and facilities who. Behavioral health is some tiny part of their overall giant system. And I think in those systems also, it's hard for behavioral health to um, have a voice. Uh, It doesn't generate the revenue and the profit that other um, departments do in the hospital settings. Um, So I think often it just doesn't get the the recognition that it uh, deserves. Um, And I think, you know, that so that's an issue even at the at the large scale 
hospital size. But on the um, – and I just completely lost my train of thought here. But I oh, think I'm sorry. The, what's that? I said I'm sorry. <laughs> I probably interrupted you. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. But I think um, – anyway, ask me something else and it will come back to me in a minute. Okay. Um, when we're looking <laughs> oh, at Oh, what's lost? Women, That's what – go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. Okay, my, go ahead. Uh, phone is, my phone has got a funny delay so, here. So what, what is lost? Me? So what is lost? With the size. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, that – I think that the personal touch is lost. I think that the um that's where I was headed with that. That I think that just the very large systems you're communicating with people who don't um necessarily do what you do. They don't have the same degree, they're not doing the same work on a day-to-day basis. They may never have done any of the type of work that you're doing. So if you have an MBA uh you know running a department or running a hospital, um, even though they may be well-intentioned and uh, wanting to understand what it is you do or why a specific um, need that you have is so essential um, to you and to your client, they can't necessarily understand that. And I think I think it's not just about size. I, I think it has a lot to do with just who's in charge. Um, and I think if you have someone in charge of the behavioral health department or your private behavioral health group practice, if that person really understands the industry and understands the needs of the professionals working there and the clients that come in, I think you're more likely to maintain that personal touch um, and have a setting and an environment where people feel like they're getting what they need. So I think you could have a smaller organization and have it be led by someone who doesn't uh, understand on a deep enough level what's needed and still not have the personal touch or the kind of effective treatment that you're hoping for. So it isn't just about size. I think that it has a lot to do with who the leader is and what their understanding of the industry is. So I I personally think that if uh, large behavioral health groups can form out there, hopefully most of them women-led, um, and keep people in the leadership positions who understand what is happening and um, how to run it the most efficient way, both from a business but also from a treatment outcome perspective, that that is the better way to go rather than being gobbled up by a large organization or uh, being folded into a hospital where there's an administration that doesn't understand what you do and may not even care. Um, So I think, I think we can get, I think we can get big if we stay in charge of our own organizations, our own businesses and really our own sort of professional destinies. And I think that's really at the heart of what I'm trying to get at is if we don't grow our own organizations, to meet the needs of the public out there, to meet the needs of the primary care physicians who want to refer clients to us, somebody else will step in and meet that need. And most likely it's going to be a hospital or a very large organization who won't be able to provide um, the personalized service um, that we can as people who do the work um, or necessarily as effective uh, a treatment as I believe that, that we're capable of if we maintain our own uh, our own professional identity within our own organizations. Well, and what I keep coming back to in my mind what you said before about what is the percentage of direct service providers in the behavioral sciences that are female and the ratio well, of the, the the male leadership of those, you know, the, the head honchos, if you will. It's huge, right? I don't have – well, it – well, if you, I mean, just that 75% of the workforce is female, um, it already is the, you know, it's almost uh, entirely women. And so you have a few people at the top. And I don't have actual numbers for every organization in town, but here in Boston, um, you know, there's a lot of hospitals, and most of them are run by men. I was surprised actually to to find four here in Massachusetts that were led by women, one of them just very recently. But the largest or most well-known uh, healthcare organizations in the country of Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic, Johns Hopkins, um, all of those, MIT even has a woman president. So all of these have men CEOs, um, and most of the premier hospitals here in Boston uh, MGH, a prominent Harvard-affiliated hospital, is led by a man. Um, Partners Healthcare, one of the largest uh, organizations um, here in town, is also led by a man. So while women are making some inroads, um, 
you know, I was very pleased to to find four women running some of the hospitals here uh, in town. It's it's definitely still not anywhere near um, reflecting what the workforce looks like, which is 75% women. Uh, based on that, we would expect to see men be in the minority in terms of CEOs and presidents of these organizations, and we're not we're not even beginning to approach anything that resembles that. Yeah. But we have to so, start somewhere, and I think that the place to start is in our own smaller organizations. Women have to develop these skills. We can't just walk in and, uh, you know, lead um, one of the major institutions in any city tomorrow. But we can start learning and running our own and growing those to a place where we are more influential and have a greater voice in what's happening in behavioral health care. Well, and I think what's interesting about this whole conversation is that it applies to many things besides behavioral health care. Um, you know, mm-hmm. clearly the proportions are huge uh, in, in, you know, with 75% female staffing. Um, but I think that we see this in a lot of fields, a lot of areas. So what is being done? I mean, I mentioned to you that I'm actually working on my dissertation for my Ph.D., have been, I think, since mm-hmm. Job was a baby. Um, and <laughs> it, <laughs> it is a never-ending problem. It's like the never-ending story, you know. Um, but um, I do not recall a single class in any of my co- coursework in psychology, either at the master's level or the Ph.D. level, that talked at all about running a business. Nothing. No, and I, so, I think that's a real problem. I think that's a problem across. I think that that's typical. Um, Yes, I don't remember ever having a class like that, and I don't know of any um, that are out there. I guess they could be, but I think I think that's true of most of the um, professions, at least the ones that I'm familiar with. That um, it's the training is very focused on that particular skill or profession, and um, I think that people just think you'll go out and figure out how to do it, or that you'll. Get a job where or you'll become else someone's employee, and they'll know. They'll already know. Yeah, and maybe that's great. And you know, the, a lot of people prefer to be an employee, and they don't want to worry about the business. And you know, owning a business or ha- having a leadership position isn't for everyone, and not everyone wants to do it. But I think there are a lot of really smart, talented women with entrepreneurial energy um, who could absolutely start and run businesses. And they either don't have the confidence, um, they're not getting the know-how from their training programs. Um, And I think that is the piece that I'm trying to address in collecting some data about who are the women out there who have figured out how to do this um, and do they have anything to offer collectively all of the women who would like to be starting a business or growing the ones that they have. Um, And I think you know, I think women would do more if they had more support, if they had more role models. Um, and I think we have to make up for what the training programs um, are not doing. So and I really wish they hope, would. Yeah. What do you hope to do if you, say you get enough women that are interested in starting an organization, uh, kind of banding together uh, along this, what, what, do you, what would you hope to accomplish um, I would like to see, um, just in a really practical sense, uh, a very simplified way for all of these women to uh, communicate with each other, um, <clears throat> to be able to, you know, ask questions and find, you know, if you want to get in a really grand scale, if it was a large enough organization, to have um, annual meetings where they can go and um, maybe have workshops on on things that are helpful. Um, from accounting to marketing to um, uh, evidence-based practice, whatever interests them, and that is um, a little bit more relevant to running a business in a group. Because there are there are parts of having a business that are like having any other business, and they don't necessarily have anything to do with your specific profession. Payroll is yeah, payroll, have, no matter you what you do. You have to pay do. the taxes. You have to, you know, yeah. do the. Hey, roll. You have, yeah, the, the whole the whole shebang there. Um, okay, so um, right now you've just put, you just put out the word. How how long ago? <laughs> um, I think that that email went out on Monday. Um, and you've already and, had fifty responses. Yeah, I put it out on um, a couple of my own professional neuropsychology lists, and 
um, asked people if they were on some other list, if they wouldn't mind forwarding it. Um, and then um, I'm a, a board member on our state psychological association, and um, I asked our executive director, uh, Brian Doherty, we love, thank you, Brian, uh, if he would uh, send that out to the other state psych associations uh, for me, and he did, and um, that generated um, a lot of response as well. And, um, you know, and I did send that out I, right after Thanksgiving, so I'm not even honestly sure how many <laughs> people saw it. So I may send out a, another round of emails for it. But I was I was really surprised at the amount of uh, people that responded and just how interested they are. And virtually every person that's responded said, I would love to know what you're doing with the data, if there's any way to connect and, uh, you know, find a way to uh, do more with this data. Every Every single person that's contacted me wanted more. They didn't want to just give me a name and, you know, say good luck with that. So you're so running. I think, this, there, I think there's. Go ahead. So you're running a, a, a fairly large corporation, and now you're taking this on. How are you going to get the time to do all this? <laughs> well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the time. I, I it's a personal interest. It's um, almost a hobby. So it's uh, uh, something that I you know would do do in my free time as I'm doing at this moment. So um, you know, it doesn't feel like work to me to take this on. Um, And I think, um, you know, a couple staff members that I have are pretty excited about this also and want to, want to help out. Uh, So we're going to find a way to do it because I think it's, um, it's important. And, you know, if not me, who, right? Somebody has to to at least get it started. Well, and I always feel like that. People always say they don't have time. They don't have time. You have the same amount of time as everybody else. It's just how you choose to use it. That's that's all. (laughs) Yeah, and it's you know, it's it. I think if you enjoy something and it feels like a hobby to you, then it's not work, and it somehow just seems to fit into your into your life easier. Now, you said that when you were seeking input and and, uh, advice or knowledge or whatever uh, in developing your own business, you had to look elsewhere to other other organizations other places other resources what were some of those resources um well one to get more direct to behavioral health i had to um go to a man that owned a large group practice and pay for consulting you know i didn't know any women in town that owned groups or across the country for that matter so the first stop was finding a man who ran uh a large practice in town uh you know, which was lucky, and I'm lucky that it, uh, he was willing to. So, and I greatly appreciated that. But there weren't any women to go to um, for that. And the other thing that I've done, um, there is an organization called the Women Presidents Organization, and it uh, is essentially kind of a CEO roundtable uh, of women business owners. You have to have, uh, as a service organization, at least a million dollars a year in revenue to join it. But if you can get there, um, it's a group where we meet every month for several hours and we essentially help each other, um, you know, with information and guidance and however we can uh, help each other uh, run our, our individual businesses. We're all in different industries, but, you know, there are many common issues and problems that you deal with when you when you run a business. But I think there's something missing. Now, that's a, only 2% of women-owned businesses out there ever get to that million dollar mark. So 98% of the others don't have an organization like that to go to. Um, and I think that's that's a place we're really uh, missing something. There are some other groups out there. Uh, I'm also involved with the Center for Women in Enterprise, which is um, here in New England. Uh, it's a great organization that does a lot to help smaller businesses. It is trying to uh, address that group of women that has um, – gotten started with the business but has not gotten quite large enough to join some of the other organizations. And I think that more and more of these um, organizations that are designed to help women either start or grow their businesses are cropping up. And I I hope that women will um, Google around and really try to search those out because they are, they are springing up more and more. And I think that it, I think it's really necessary if you don't have a business background and that's not what you went to school to learn how to do, and even if it is, even if you know what you're doing, it's still hard to actually implement it and execute whatever great idea you have. Actually doing it is a whole other thing. 
Oh, absolutely. You have to, yeah, so there, there are things out there, and they're becoming more and more. But it takes mm-hmm. a very you know proactive person to go find those. Yeah. Well, um, what? How are you taking? I mean, can you give out contact information so that if someone does own a, a, a corporation or a healthcare corporation, behavior health corporation, they could contact you? Do you have a website or? Uh, yes, our website is uh, <clears throat> www. It's compsych. dot com. It's c o m m p s y c h. dot com. Uh, and I can be reached at my last name, which is Piat P I A T T at Comsite dot com. If someone knows of a a woman led group that would like to be uh, added to our directory, uh, I'm hoping that once the directory, once we get enough names and start compiling this, um, that we can start actually reaching out to many of the women that either contacted me or contacted me with the name of a group that they know is large in their state. That happened quite a few times. It's, Somebody said, well, my group isn't that big, but this person owns a group that's a lot larger. You might want to call her. Uh, we do want to actually start contacting people and finding out, um, you know, exactly how large is your group. People, uh, there are some very large groups that have 50 and 60 employees, but a lot of those employees work 10 hours, um, you know, and they're not full time. So we really want to hone in and try to figure out how large groups are in terms of um what we call FTEs, full-time equivalent. If you add up all of the hours for your staff um, and you had to make them all full-time, then how many do you really have? And trying to uh, start getting a lot more data and information so that we can figure out um, who someone would want to go to um, to grow. If you have four uh, psychologists on your staff and you're trying to get to 10, uh, you know, you need to know who out there in the community has gotten there or has gotten past that number so that, you know, they've already been down the road you're trying to go down. It's not, it won't do any good to keep calling people who are kind of of your same size. So I'd really like to not just have a directory, but have a directory that um, has a lot more useful information to so people can figure out where to go or, you know, who who is of a similar size and might be dealing with the same issues that they're dealing with. You know, you hit 50 employees and you're dealing with FMLA. That's something that not everybody has to deal with, and it would be nice to be able to find somebody who deals with the same issues you deal with based on the size of your organization. There's been a lot of emphasis recently on STEM, uh, the the, Mm -hmm. the science, technology, engineering, and math for girls. Yes. But what... And I think that's wonderful uh, to try and get more girls into the sciences. But what about business? It seems to me that we don't really make any concerted effort to teach women business skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. There's, there needs to be a B added to that. You know, call it STEM yeah. B. Um, yeah, hmm. exactly. And or B STEM. I don't know why. Or STEM I don't know. I don't know, and maybe uh, pieces of math fall in, you know, fall in there. I, but I think, you know, I yes, you're right, and I think that that's, um, I think that's a problem. It's not helping um women get as far as I think that uh, they could if they wanted to, and uh, it would be great to have a more emphasis on that. Yeah. Uh, I I know that when my daughter um, was selecting schools, I, I was talking with an administrator, and I said, what is the focus on, on entrepreneurism here? Do you have an, a focus on teaching women, young girls, how to operate a business? And it was an excellent school. It was a wonderful school. And she just kind of looked at me blankly and said, well, that's an idea. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's quite an idea. Why are, you know, why isn't there an emphasis on that? And I must say that I have not seen any kind of emphasis at all. And if you're talking about professions like we're talking about, where 75% of the worker bees are female, Certainly, there's a percentage of those worker bees who have managerial capabilities. It would seem absolutely, absolutely. I think just in the years that we've been in business, because we have kept growing, I have needed to create management positions um, along the way, and I think that we have um, created 11 management positions for professional staff and for our administrative staff in these um, past few years, and. 
uh, we have filled those in every single one of those internally. We've not hired from the outside for any management position. Uh, so it, we have found yeah. women internally who have stepped up and who have uh, exceptional leadership and management skills, even coming from no background whatsoever in that. They have been able to learn that, learn on their own, seek um, guidance from other people in the practice. And so I, I think there are a lot of uh, natural leaders, particularly in the uh, behavioral sciences. They're already coming uh, to the table with a certain amount of um, knowledge about people and how to interact with them and emotional intelligence and the things that one needs to be a strong leader. I think it's built in if they want to pursue that. And that's an interesting uh, connection there, too, because uh, the, throughout this whole discussion I thought, well, but not everyone has, just because they're an excellent psychologist doesn't mean that they're an excellent business leader. Just because they're an excellent business True. leader doesn't mean that they can manage psychologists. I mean, it does take yes. a, a, a set of skills from both arenas in order to be good, uh, and that can apply to any field, you know, that where you have, I mean, uh, how many how many of us have worked for corporations where they brought in some brand new shiny MBA who didn't know a clue, <laughs> didn't have a clue about the business, but he knew exactly. business, right, you know, right. And, and that can be disastrous. So what what part of this conversation is, is, you know, finding people who have the skills in both arenas so that they can bridge between the the understanding the actual therapy consultation etc as well as understanding those business skills because it is a different set in some respects mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. what you're saying is that some of those business skills actually are endemic to the uh, the 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 provider in this particular field is that what you're saying that is what I'm saying, and I think that the ones we're talking about in particular are the ones that are very difficult to train. Um, social skills and emotional tel- intelligence, um, while we, you know, those can be impacted with consultants and coaches, I think um, making someone a very savvy person who knows how to interact with people uh, at a level that uh, makes them a good leader is hard to train. But I think that so many psychologists and behavioral health providers, um, they have that naturally. It's what uh, probably why they like doing what they're doing or why they're good at it. And so I think some of the skills can be trained, but I do think that an awful lot of psychologists um, come to the table with many of the soft skills that are hard to train. Um, And if you find the person that has those soft skills you can give them the the knowledge and teach them how to use those soft skills. I think it's a lot harder to go in the other direction and have someone with a whole lot of business knowledge that um, is not very socially savvy or doesn't have the emotional intelligence to be able to um, work with a variety of people who function at different levels and have different needs in the organization. Um, I'd rather, any day I would take the person with the soft skills and teach them what they need to know. Uh, rather than take someone with the knowledge and hope that we can teach them, you know, how to be more emotionally intelligent in the workplace. How did you build your business to this the the state that it's at right now? Well, honestly, I, mean, I never thought it would get this big. In all honesty, it's not like I set out uh, to make it this big. Um, I did set out to start a group, probably like most of the women that I'm hearing from out there. And, you know, it starts and you have two or three people and they get uh, full and you need another one and you kind of keep hiring and you take on more office space. Um, I think at some point, though, it it happened for me and I think it probably happens for most growing businesses. It doesn't take long before you really reach, um, you start maxing out the skill set that you just sort of inherently brought with you. Um, and you either stop there because you don't have the knowledge and skill set to get bigger, uh, or you actively start seeking that knowledge and those skills to figure out how to uh, be able to keep growing um, and to be able to hire the people to do what you don't know how to do. So I think, you know, I just started growing and hiring, and at some point, Uh, hit a place where we were large enough, um, you know, like so many companies, you know, things didn't go as smoothly as as they look. Uh, We certainly had our 
our rough spots a few years in when we got big enough to need more management than we had um, or more management than my personality really allowed for. I'm not a real hands-on manager uh, and I don't really enjoy it, so I personally didn't do it enough. I didn't offer enough management, and I think that created a lot of problems. But I did learn from that and realize that's not my forte. It's not what I enjoy doing. I need to find people within the organization that enjoy that and, and are good at it. Um, and after some fumbling and some failing, um, we eventually found those people and had them start working with us uh, to start being managers. And we had more and more. And as we hired more people, we needed more managers. And I think just over time, it has evolved into um, a really well-running organization, and I think that people are doing work they like. Um, and I think that's just a big chunk of it. If you let people do what they enjoy and what they're good at, they're going to do it well. And there, uh, actually, just a sidebar, there was a recent Gallup uh, survey and about kind of uh, why people want to work for women bosses. And one of the things it said is that women managers – tend to be more engaged in the workplace than male managers. Of course, this is a sweeping generalization, but it's their data from their polling. Um, And that employees who work for women managers are more engaged than employees who don't work for women managers. And so what that data is suggesting is that if you have an engaged uh, woman leader, and they tend to be more engaged, and you have a lot of um, probably women employees especially um, working for an engaged leader, they're also more engaged. And you wind up with these um, hyper-productive work groups. And I think that um, I think that I see that in our own organization. Um, we have a lot of very engaged women managers, uh, and the staff are very engaged. Um, the last two consecutive years, we've been named a top place to work in Massachusetts by the Boston Globe which was based entirely on, our, on confidential employee surveys. So the people working in our organization um, say that they enjoy it. And I think that so much of that has to do with having uh, engaged women leaders who are working with other women and the men in our organization uh, and just creating a synergy and an energy that is working. But it, it has not been easy to get there, and it's taken 11 years, and it has taken some setbacks and failures and um, learning from mistakes, for sure. And a lot of those mistakes I am sure I could have avoided had I had uh, a mentor or some other role model to watch. And I really hope that we can uh, create this directory so that uh, a lot of women out there don't have to make uh, the same mistakes or experience uh, a lot of the setbacks that that me and uh, all of the people in our organization, you know, have had periodically. One of the things that attracted me to this whole concept of what you're doing of trying to line up and support uh, women-owned healthcare is because, you know, going back full circle to what we started out with, this is an era of corporate healthcare. Um, it's the only mm-hmm. way it can be cost-effective, it seems. Um, and so we are going to be seeing more and more employee doctors, therapists, nurses, whatever, um, that we have perhaps in previous generations thought of as being entrepreneurs and being independent. You know, you graduate from law school, you go hang your shingle. You know, well, people don't right. do that anymore. It's it's the era of corporate. And so as you were talking earlier about this huge percentage of women in the quote-unquote caring professions, education, health care. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I remember right. even as a, as a child, well, women were the doctors. W- women were the nurses and the, and the teachers. Right. The doctors and the administrators, of course, were the men. Um, and, and we've come so far, but it looks like we're still looking at the administrators being the men. And, you know, God love them, that's wonderful, but how about some, something that's a little bit more representative of the actual workforce? Um, yes. And so 
that yeah exactly and that just really appealed to me because i mean let's face it that's kind of the the whole history of organized labor you know we we we've going to band together to so that the management can see us better and so that management can can understand that these are the people who are the worker bees and that these are our needs and this is what we have to have and you know that kind of thing so it's kind of like you know back in the era of uh Tammany Hall and all that. As far as I'm concerned, you know, it's like, you know, let's let's do something to to organize, to band together a little bit, so that we can say, yeah, look, these are the workers, these are the frontline people, these are the people who are, you know, rolling up their sleeves and getting in there. And of course, yeah. not all of us have administrative skills. Not all of us are business managers. But it's not as hard as I think a lot of people think. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that. Yeah, women have more skills and talents than I think that they're aware of. Um, We're trainable. We're very trainable. (laughs) Well, and and I, I see this time and again uh, in my own workplace with you know watching women. um, They're they just are more reluctant to um, to take risks if they don't feel yeah you know 100% qualified or that they know exactly what they're doing. They're less likely to do it, and I think somehow we have to. find a way uh, to do it anyway, you know, to quote Nike, to just do it and try it and seek out help. Um, You were just talking about entrepreneurs, and it just reminded me I have no vested interest in this whatsoever, but at Babson um, here outside of Boston, they have, it's it's always rated as the number one entrepreneurial school in the country. Um, They have a whole program on women and entrepreneurship and how even to be uh, it's a program I'm really interested in, and I'm hoping to bring some training into our own women staff from this program, is uh, how to be an entrepreneur within the space that you operate in. Employees can be entrepreneurial uh, in their own work, in their own department, um, and bring a lot of value to the organization and bring a lot more enjoyment to their own work. And so I think also expanding how we think about entrepreneurship, it doesn't always have to be that you own the business. It can be that you are bringing a creative energy um, that drives some sort of change or growth within an organization. And so I really like that way of thinking about entrepreneurship, that it has a lot of forms and can come in, in a variety of ways. Maybe entrepreneurship is more than just owning the business. Maybe it's owning what we do. Exactly. And it's empowerment. And this whole, I mean, really, maybe this whole conversation boils down to empowerment, empowering women to do work they like, empowering them to take the chances to do things that they actually would be good at. Economic empowerment is a huge piece of this and a piece that I uh, personally feel strongly about, that women need more economic empowerment and control over their own economic destinies. Um, And so I I think you're exactly right with that. So this is I've really enjoyed this conversation and I'm I'm heartened by the work that you're planning on doing with this. Um I'd like you to keep us informed about it and um who knows, yeah. maybe if I ever actually get that damn dissertation done. <laughs> you will, you will, we all do. None of us remember oh. it. We've all traumatized and forgotten it, but you will exactly exactly um but um it, you know i mean who, who knows and and i think that um the idea of of being in control of your work life is something that really is important to all of us and um mm-hmm. i'm really encouraged by this i'm encouraged by what you're doing personally uh to do this and again Give out your information if there are some women-owned businesses, uh, behavioral science businesses out there that would like to contact you. How may they do so? Um, my last name, Piatt, P-I-A-T-T, at comsych.com. can also, if you can't write all that down, just Google me, Andrea Piatt, P-I-A-T-T, Boston. I will come up and so will my company. Great. Yeah, and, and um, also, if you're interested in developing your own business, I'm sure Andrea can, um, you know, forward a lot of resources to you. But don't forget about SBA, SBA Small Business Administration, or is it administration or association? Absol- uh, administration, absolutely. We have got a number of SBA loans, and we would not be here today without the SBA. Take advantage of it. They have a lot of opportunities for women. And not just loans, but also, um, you know, they have a focus on women-owned businesses and helping women develop those businesses. 
Well, Andrea, yeah. I thank you so much for being with us today and to talk a little bit about what you're doing in the area of uh, women-owned businesses and uh, particularly in the area of behavioral sciences. It's a field that I think is just going to keep growing and growing, and there is absolutely no reason why women cannot take the helm of a lot of those. Thank you absolutely. for joining us today on Three Women, Three Ways. Be sure to be here next week. I don't have a show lined up. This is the last-minute thing, I guess, for to, for next week. But whatever <laughs> it is, it's going to be good. You're going to enjoy it. So join us again next week on Three Women, Three Ways. Mm-hmm.